Welcome to AEM Early Access, a podcast of the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine and the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Understanding the distributions of patient sociodemographic factors is absolutely necessary to both quantify and ensure equity and inclusion in healthcare. So today we're talking about a new paper in AEM entitled Equity-Relevant Sociodemographic Variable Collection in Emergency Medicine, a Systematic Review, Qualitative Evidence Synthesis, and Recommendations for Practice. Lead author, Dr. Murdoch Leas, is here to talk about it with us. Dr. Leas is an emergency medicine, critical care medicine, and organ donation specialist physician. Trained as a clinician investigator, he serves as the director of research for the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Manitoba. He also leads a research program focused on the promotion of health equity in medicine, and we are honored to have him today to speak with us. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access from the publisher for a limited time. Dr. Leas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so the World Health Organization recommends that all countries integrate routine health inequality monitoring into their national health information systems in order to develop policies, programs, practices that promote health equity. So we're talking about sociodemographic variable collection today. So how does sociodemographic variable collection in the emergency department help achieve this goal and uh, and tell us more about why the emergency department seems like the ideal place for this. Mm, absolutely. So a- adequate data is really fundamental to understanding what health inequities exist. Uh, and it's necessary for us to be able to design uh, and implement strategies to promote justice, equity, diversity, decolonization, and inclusion in the health system. Mm-hmm. So we can't know if health inequities exist unless we have that, that demographic data to tell us uh, about who our patients are and what their outcomes are. And while there's lots of enthusiasm across jurisdictions to improve health equity, there's less consistency in the approaches used to actually measure inequalities in health and in healthcare. And many health systems across both Canada and the United States uh, are unique and varied. And Mm -hmm. so agreeing on or developing standards for core variables to measure inequities, as well as improving access to this data, uh, is, is needed to enable comparisons across health systems, different levels or different jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in both Canada and the U.S., the majority of acute hospital admissions occur through the ED. And so this is a phase of care where registration in the hospital system occurs and where demographic information is already collected, some demographic information. Um, and so, you know, additionally and importantly, there's evidence to support that Non-inclusive care in EDs makes systemically marginalized and oppressed groups less likely to seek care when they need it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as emergency medicine specialists, we really have a a duty to provide high-quality care to the patients in our EDs. Um, And our evidence suggests that the simple act of recognizing folks with oppressed and marginalized social identities through sociodemographic variable collection 
can combat those institutional um, erasures and the underrepresentation that occurs. We can normalize these minority identities and actually improve the therapeutic relationship between patients and care providers. And so I think that's why the emergency department is really a, a perfect place to uh, enhance our efforts to collect high quality sociodemographic data. Fantastic. So, I mean, you started to allude to this. Um, can you tell us a little bit about research that's been done on this topic specifically in the past? Yeah, for sure. So, so this is the first published systematic review and qualitative evidence synthesis on sociodemographic variable collection in emergency medicine. Um, and, and in it, we uh, reviewed and identified ultimately 21 different studies that we included. Um, there have been some other systematic reviews looking at sociodemographic variable collection in other health settings. But, you know, the emergency department is really a special place, as I'm sure mm. most listeners will know. <laughs> that there's unique considerations uh, regarding privacy during disclosure of personal health information. You know, the, the urgency or state of somebody's uh, presentation to the emergency department. And so uh, considerations for how we collect data really have to be contextualized in the emergency setting. Okay. So specifically, what questions were you hoping to answer with this systematic review? And uh, what did you wish to do with that evidence? Yeah, we, we wanted to comprehensively and systematically review all the existing literature to identify best practices for sociodemographic variable collection in emergency departments, to try to identify if there were any um, reported risks or benefits uh, of enhanced collection for both patients, but also for healthcare workers and for healthcare systems. Um, we wanted to identify if there were published barriers or facilitators for implementing enhanced sociodemographic variable collection to help inform recommendations uh, for the same. And so we use this evidence to synthesize specific recommendations for routine sociodemographic variable collection in emergency departments. And, and in developing these recommendations, we wanted to ensure that process changes were consistent with any established best practices, that they would maximize benefits for patients, providers, and systems, and minimize potential harms. And so we wanted these specific recommendations to be informed by uh, these existing barriers and facilitators to implementation, um, and ensure that any changes that are made or that we're proposing will be as effective uh, as possible. There have you know, been previous attempts uh, in lots of different settings, my own hospital where I work clinically, to enhance sociodemographic variable collection. And some of these attempts have failed. Um, and after the lessons that we learned from this review, you know, I can see why there, there are multiple considerations that must be made to inform safe and effective routine collection of sociodemographics from patients in the ED. And, you know, this, this article really goes through these uh, in detail. All right. So let's get into a little bit. Uh, first, tell us about your methods and um, some of your criteria for study inclusion or exclusion. For sure. I, I think conceptually, it's probably easiest to consider the methods for this paper in, in two parts. So part one is the systematic review, the literature review. Mm -hmm. And then part two is the, the qualitative evidence synthesis that we performed. 
And so for the systematic review, we developed a team of collaborators of relevant content and methodologic expertise, um, developed and generated in advance a plan and a protocol for the systematic review that defined the study question, the scope of the review, our literature search strategy, you know, which we also had uh, our search strategy peer reviewed by an external health sciences librarian and an information specialist, uh, as well as our analytic plan. And so we developed this protocol and, and um, registered that before starting the review uh, in Prospero. Um, we included studies that reported on the perceptions or experiences of patients or healthcare workers with sociodemographic variable collection in emergency departments. Uh, any studies that reported best practice recommendations or uh, specific definitions or processes of collection of sociodemographic variables uh, in emergency departments, or any studies that reported on perceived or experienced benefits, harms, facilitators, and barriers related to the routine collection or lack of collection of sociodemographic variables in emerges. We, uh, we excluded um, non-peer-reviewed publications uh, non-English publications, and any publications greater than 10 years old, as well as news articles or commentary. We were really looking at scientific uh, literature for this, this project. Um, maybe I'll just say prior to conducting the review as well, you know, we anticipated that most of the included literature would be composed of things like consensus guidelines, uh, opinion surveys or interviews, kind of narrative style uh, mm -hmm. data. And so we planned a qualitative analysis and evidence synthesis using a, a two-stage paired best fit framework synthesis mm -hmm. with also a, a inductive thematic analysis. Okay. So you mentioned 21 studies. Let us not discount <laughs> the numbers of studies that were sifted through. So oh, yeah. your, uh, your electronic search identified 4,075 records and then 4,072 after duplicates were removed. And then uh, after abstract screening, uh, you removed another 3,911. And then you assessed the full text of 161 studies and excluded 140 of those. And now you've got these 21 unique reports that included 10,454 patients or respondents. So uh, tell us just a, a little bit of the characteristics of those reports, you know, when they're from, countries of origin, the study types, et cetera. For sure. Thank you for recognizing the scope of this work. I was one of the two investigators who independently screened all of those records. Ooh. So it was a, it was a large <laughs> amount of work. Um, but we're very happy to do it. So uh, of, of the included studies, those final 21, uh, 15 of them were uh, U.S.-based studies. Uh, four came from Canada and two came from Australia. Uh, they were all published between 2011 and 2021. And as we anticipated, these were largely surveys or interviews of patients and healthcare workers um, with just a couple of observational cohort studies. And all in all, we found uh, that those included studies that contained very rich data and opinions and experiences of diverse groups of people um, and including people with diverse racial, ethnic, indigenous, sexual orientation, uh, gender identity, and economic social identities. 
Okay. And uh, then in the paper, you mentioned that due to the volume of the qualitative data extracted, and you were alluding this to this before, um, you wound up distilling and summarizing these findings based on shared meaning and presenting them in the six categories that you alluded to before um, regarding routine sociodemographic variable collection in the emergency departments. Can you go through those six categories again? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the six categories that we distilled our findings into regarding routine sociodemographic variable collection in EDs were um, first associated benefits of that collection, second associated harms, uh, third were barriers to collection, fourth facilitators of collection, uh, fifth were knowledge gaps, if there had been published knowledge or, or research gaps. Uh, and last were any recommended definitions, uh, classifications, or collection methods, um, sort of those best practices for sociodemographic variable collection. Okay, so let's let's talk about some of these findings. How about we start with uh, the associated benefits and harms? Absolutely. Uh, we talked at the start of our conversation about the need to measure and collect sociodemographic data in order to quantify inequities, as well as design strategies to mitigate those inequities. And so the literature supported these benefits as well. Um, but we identified additional benefits that included uh, combating systemic invisibility and underrepresentation, reducing stigma through institutional recognition, as well as normalization of the equity-deserving identity and acknowledgement of the individual's inherent value and lived experience as additional benefits. We also found that sociodemographic variable collection was associated with more holistic and individualized care by better understanding the entire patient. And both patients and healthcare providers described having enhanced therapeutic relationships with patients and the healthcare team as a result. Um, but there, there were also some potential harms associated with, uh, with routine collection. And so we found, um, you know, the, the following potential harms, a fear of discrimination or stigmatization uh, by healthcare workers after a patient discloses their relevant identities was a, was a potential harm as well as fears of discrimination or stigmatization by others due to you know, potential privacy violations. Mm -hmm. um, some patients express concerns regarding the quality of care that they might receive due to either conscious or unconscious biases in the staff. Hmm. Um, exploitation of minority patients for teaching uh, in uh, in teaching centers, including things like unnecessary questions or perceived unnecessary questions, uh, unnecessary tests or physical examination, uh, were of, of particular concern for transgender and gender diverse patients. Um, and healthcare providers also reported uh, some potential harms. Um, we found this really interesting. They they reported actually that. Healthcare providers were worried patients would take offense to some of those questions. But interestingly, the vast majority of patients said they would not be offended to be asked about their social identities. And so there was really a difference in perception there. Um, and, uh, you know, health, healthcare workers also described just potential discomfort themselves when asking about sensitive uh, information. Interesting. Um, okay, well, how about barriers uh, to collection and facilitators of collection? For sure. 
Um, and some of these will seem obvious, but some of the key barriers to routine sociodemographic variable collection in the emergency department uh, were inadequate privacy. I think will come as no surprise. You know, we have these right. loud, busy, packed departments. Uh, and so that was always a concern. Um, non-inclusive emergency department environments, you know, environments that seem clinical or sterile or uh, are not welcoming to uh, people who already experience social marginalization or oppression, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that we might not think of when designing some of these clinical spaces, uh, but have been identified as a barrier to both feeling welcome and to feeling uh, safety and disclosure. Okay. Um, a, a lack of understanding of why this data was being collected and how it would be used was a barrier, as well as a lack of healthcare worker training in data collection and um, you know specific cultural humility training, uh, as well as worries about patients being offended if they asked um, healthcare workers asked these questions. And so, you know, these barriers, you know, are very important, I think, for us to know, but they can also serve as targets for action in uh, designing a system that, that is effective. And so I think are all things that can be addressed through, uh, through thoughtful design. Um, in terms of, uh, of facilitators of, of routine collection, uh, it was reported that a standardized process for data collection, so that's um, you know routine and standardized, including universal collection, which was really important, that everybody is asked all questions. They aren't targeted based on, let's say, visual estimation of of uh, you know the data collector. Everybody gets asked all questions. Um, the use of nonverbal collection methods. Uh, was was a key finding as well. Having written or electronic data entry options significantly increased people's comfort uh, with uh, their privacy and safety of disclosure. Um, the availability of a, of a population-specific advocacy service, as well as adequate healthcare worker training, so sort of the capacity of the healthcare workers to provide care with cultural humility, uh, were facilitators. Um, as well as communication, uh, community awareness campaigns about new data collection processes so people aren't shocked when they start being asked questions that they weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the presence of and communication about legal or institutional protections against discrimination um, were also facilitators of safe and effective sociodemographic variable collection. Okay, fantastic. What did you find out about knowledge gaps? Yeah, there was a little bit less uh, published literature specific to knowledge gaps, but we did find um, that uh, some authors called for a need for enhanced quality of existing sociodemographic data. So some concerns that some data that is currently collected may be unreliable. Um, And certainly we found uh, previously locally that attempts to collect race without having a lot of the considerations that we recommend um, failed, uh, you know, because uh, of of the way they were implemented. And so the the data then that you get from this problematic collection, you know, there's a lot of missing data. Uh, People may choose not to disclose their actual identities for fears of being discriminated against or not understanding what it's being used for. So those quality issues. A desire for clarity on when the optimal time during the medical encounter um, 
to collect some variables. Uh, particularly, this was brought up in the context of, of socioeconomic variables and whether you know these are things that should be collected at the point of registration or maybe at a different point in the emergency department visit um, to help facilitate linkages with community-based resources or social work services. Mm-hmm. Um, ways for patients to have more control and ownership over their own data uh, was identified as a, as a research gap and an area where there's needed uh, further work and a need to further explore and characterize how individual identities feel about collection of their relevant data. So, um, you know, needing to talk to some certain subpopulations and better understand the unique needs within. Uh, And that was brought up specific to um, transgender and, and racialized transgender uh, folks in the emergency department. Hmm, okay. All right. Well, finally, uh, let's talk about the recommended definitions, classification, and collection methods of these variables. I think, you know, this is probably best captured within our final 14 synthesized recommendations. Um, there were a couple of, of uh, published recommendations, uh, but largely the, the literature was supporting um, or describing some of these relevant uh, risks or benefits, facilitators or barriers. And so those 14 recommendations, um, you know, if you'll entertain me, really are, number one, to use nonverbal collection methods for disclosure. And that was the recommendation that had the largest amount of evidence supporting it. That makes sense. I think it makes perfect sense. Hey? Um, second was to provide private spaces for information sharing, irrespective of whether disclosure is verbal or nonverbal. It's so important that there's adequate privacy built in. Mm-hmm. Um, third, structure sociodemographic variable collection questions to facilitate self-identification. So avoiding uh, restrictive categories, let's say, you know, uh, binary gender categories, uh, racial or ethnic categories that don't uh, represent the person who's there to uh, to share their identity. Um, and self-identification requires, uh, you know, the person being asked to be able to answer and offer their identity. So it's um, th- this eliminates that uh, problem of, of what commonly happens sometimes, and that's where the data collector uses visual estimation to assign, you know, things like race or sex or gender, um, you know, we, we have to ask people to know what their, what their actual identities are. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth, structure data systems to incorporate ownership and control of personal health data. Um, and so a number of different options and how to do that. Um, fifth, develop standardized explanatory scripts to introduce sociodemographic variable collection. Um, and we, these need to include a plain language explanatory statement explaining why this data is being collected, um, the benefits of disclosure and collection for the individual and for the health system, uh, a clear explanation that uh, this data collection should be voluntary and so that it is voluntary and that the person's um, healthcare visit is not going to be negatively impacted if they choose not to share this information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sixth, uh, increasing capacity of the healthcare system to provide care with culture of humility. So making, uh, healthcare worker training 
in equity, diversity, decolonization, and inclusion, mandatory and supported through institutional policies, as well as through adequately resourcing these programs to provide training on an ongoing basis. Um, seventh, engineer processes that obviate the need for repetitive disclosure, um, needing to constantly negotiate uh, your identity and disclose it to multiple people during an emergency department visit um, can be a harm and, and can be a barrier to seeking and accessing emergency care. And so mm -hmm. um, just thinking through the entire emergency visit, when would this person have to redisclose? Who needs to know this information? Can it be linked into other health systems uh, like primary care systems um, to, to facilitate that? Number eight, give patients the opportunity to review or modify any retained sociodemographic information from previous visits or linked health records. So some identities can be fluid, some are a little more permanent. Um, patients should have the ability to have control over, over that data and be able to update or modify if they change. Um, number nine, to enhance inclusivity through physical environments. Um, some simple measures like posting or featuring ambassadorial symbols, um, posting existing non-discrimination policies, having non-gendered bathrooms available, you know, making audio or, or visual announcements that promote diversity um, and inclusion uh, can make our physical emergency department environments more welcoming. And um, particularly for, uh, you know, minority groups who face systematic oppression and marginalization, um, you know, make it a space that's welcoming and remove barriers to care. Uh, number 10, uh, develop population-specific support services. So um, population-specific advocacy services were identified as uh, facilitators of both um, inclusive care, feeling welcome in the department, but also of uh, a safe disclosure of identity-based data. Okay. Um, to create or revise uh, existing institutional protections against discrimination. So if they don't exist, you know, we should really consider whether our emergency department or hospital needs to have a, an updated uh, institutional uh, policy against discrimination. Um, and sort of linked to that, number 12, implement reporting structures for patients. So patients should be able to... Um, you know, report if they have a concern related to the care that they received. And this should be, you know, obvious and accessible to them. They shouldn't have to uh, necessarily even go ask a staff person, how do I make a complaint? Because then that could uh, be a barrier to, to honest communication. Uh, 13, facilitate engagement and measure institutional outcomes. Uh, so, Processes need to be linked to existing workflows, you know, re reinventing emergency care from the beginning, you know, could be good, but seems like a lofty goal and I think unlikely to be totally successful. So, um, you know, finding ways to incorporate these changes into the way we collect demographic data currently uh, and rewarding staff for inclusion. Um, you know, committing to regular audits, evaluating key outcomes with respect to health equity and making these results public uh, could help uh, facilitate engagement and, and continued data collection after an initial phase of, of starting. Uh, and lastly, 
Um, we recommended to acknowledge harms for equity-deserving populations and to partner with them to reform structural inequities. Um, you know, I think uh, whenever there's this, uh, whenever we bring up issues of inequities, the dominant group or the group who's in power often can have a negative reaction to hearing about inequities. And, and yeah. really, this isn't a criticism. It doesn't mean that we are bad people as emergency departments, as, as the institution or the system. Um, but if there are opportunities to improve our care, to make it more inclusive, we should embrace those and we should be thankful to have, uh, have them raised our attention. And so um, just by acknowledging that uh, we haven't done enough for um, equity-deserving populations in the past, but that we're committed to working uh, in partnership with them to to eliminate these structural inequities and barriers um, can go a long way to develop those relationships. Well, that is fabulous. Thank you so much for this. is a It's a big body of work, um, and I think it's going to inform how we move forward in the future on this topic. So thank you for coming to talk to us about this paper. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes at AEM Early Access, all one word. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access from the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal for a limited time. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.